A desperate surgeon. No sign of the four-year-old. An issue. We hold great concerns. Cleo was taken. 18 days of asking, where is Cleo? What's your name, sweetheart? My name is Cleo. Almost three months since Cleo Smith was snatched from her family's tent, the man accused of taking her made a stunning admission in court. Terence Kelly, who was a doll-obsessed loner, only uttered one word when the child-stealing charge was read out, guilty. Hi everyone, I'm Natalie Bongiolo and welcome back to the podcast with a confession that probably many people hoped for but very few would have expected. We're going to take you through that courtroom twist and also delve into the background of Terence Daryl Kelly. Now this is information that we couldn't share prior to him admitting that he did in fact take Cleo from her tent and from her family and then kept her hidden from the world for 18 days. So joining us for today's episode, welcome back, investigative journalist Kristen Shorten. Hi, Nat. Thanks for having me. And legal whiz here at the West Australian, our legal affairs editor, Tim Clark, who's across every aspect of these court proceedings. Welcome to you two. Hi, Nat. Now, Tim, you were up in court and up in Carnarvon to hear this guilty plea. How did that unfold? Yeah, well, pretty quickly, to be honest, although the uh, the pathway getting there has obviously, as you said, taken some months. Um, so this was uh, Kelly's third appearance in court. And given that he has now pleaded guilty to, to the child snatching charge, an admission on your third appearance in court is very early in the in the process. But um, but that's what's come. So my understanding is that um, the detectives that have worked on the Cleo case from the very moment she went missing or very soon afterwards were quite confident that this plea was going to come um, because of communications that they had had with Kelly's lawyer. She had indicated that that might be his thinking, certainly on the kidnapping charge. Um, And there were other communications relating to um, maybe perhaps who was going to do the sentencing, if it was to come to that, and where that sentencing would be. So whereas it might have been a bit of a surprise um, for us in court, I don't think it was much of a shock to the detectives involved in the case. Um, But when I then communicated that guilty plea to them, one of them yesterday, um, they were still very, very happy that it had um, transpired the way that they'd hoped. And what a relief this must be for the family, for the parents. Well, really for everyone, I think, involved. And and perhaps Kelly himself as well, although we're yet to hear from him in any great length. But certainly for the Smith family, for um, the detectives involved, knowing that there will not be a trial on that child snatching charge now is a, is a massive relief. And as I put in the, in the West Australian today, primarily because it takes away any prospect of little Cleo maybe possibly having to give evidence about the circumstances. Now, that might seem bizarre and, and, and maybe even ridiculous, asking a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old girl to recount that. But if it had gone to trial, it might well have come down to that because obviously only Cleo and Kelly would know what happened in those hours and minutes that she was taken and um, in the days and weeks afterwards. So so that's now off the table, which is, I'm sure, a huge relief to her mum and dad and everyone involved. Um, and now the process begins of getting Kelly to the end of the process um, and the sentencing that will follow in some months. So this is what Police Minister Paul Papalia had to say. Today's uh, guilty plea is confirmation of the excellent policing work and just how strong a case had been uh, presented by Western Australian Police Force. 
Kristen, as Tim just mentioned, the detectives weren't in court and Task Force Commander Rod Wilde wasn't in court to hear that. But do you think he'd be pretty happy with the outcome? Absolutely. And just for the reasons that Tim and the police minister just mentioned, primarily because it saves little Cleo from the trauma of ever having to give evidence in court, at least on that particular kidnapping charge. And also it just is a reflection of how strong the police case must be that Kelly wasn't even going to try to plead not guilty and avoid a conviction on that kidnapping charge. Tim, detectives have spent obviously the past several weeks building a case against Kelly. Do you think his lawyer would have spent a lot of time discussing what they had put to her and could this help Kelly come to make his decision? Yeah, absolutely. So that was the process. So, I mean, the common misconception, I suppose, is after an offender or an accused is charged and has appeared in court, everyone thinks, oh, well, the case is done and it's just a case of getting it to the end. But as some of the detectives relayed to me, after the initial arrest and charge and Kelly was then taken to Casarina Prison on that plane, that was where some of the real nitty-gritty dot I's and cross T's work began. There would have been thousands and thousands of what used to be called Viper actions, but they're just decisions that are made along the way in terms of the process of the investigation. There's got to be paperwork for every single one of those. And so that was what was taking up a lot of of time in between um, November and now. And then that all comes together in what in legal terms is called a statement of material facts, which is the assertions that police and prosecutors put for the court, which are then argued over, or in this case now will be agreed to largely. Um, My understanding is there was an initial statement of material facts and then there was a more detailed one um, handed to Kelly and his legal representatives just before Christmas, which contained a lot more detail and some new allegations of what he'd been up to in the days before Cleo was taken. And that would have been pondered over by Ms. Turby Chapel, who's represented Kelly, and then it would have been put before him. Well, he would have been advised by her, and then he would have ultimately said yes or no. And obviously, as Chris said, the case was very strong. It was very strong. It wasn't just the fact that Cleo was found in his house. There was a lot of telecommunication material brought up and gone into and presented to Kelly. And Kelly has obviously now ultimately said, well, yep, I accept that it was me um, on the strength of the evidence that you have against me. And I think that we would all feel quite grateful that this has happened so quickly and so early in the legal proceedings. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it saves everyone a lot of time and money and emotion, but there's still quite a way to go yet because there are charges before Kelly, which he hasn't pleaded guilty to. There'll be some reports presumably have to be done and there'll be some more legal wrangling behind the scenes, I think, in terms of exactly what the facts that are eventually put before a judge. So it'll be, you know, several months yet before the whole process or maybe even longer before the whole process comes to an end. But the prospect of a trial, which would be years away and then would take a long time itself, is now thankfully cast away. We saw that a family friend was at court to hear the plea before court sat. And this is what she said to reporters on the way in. Where's the mother and father? And why don't they get themselves here? I was quite confused by that. But Tim, is she speaking about Cleo's parents not being there? I was a bit unsure as well, Matt, I have to say. Um, that lady's name is Esther Mingo. a family friend of the Kelly families. She used to live quite close to where Kelly was raised by another Indigenous woman in Carnarvon. 
she uh, appeared at the last court appearance and was, I have to say, a little less emotional on that occasion than she was this. Um, she seemed yesterday to be um, yeah, quite emotional and quite outspoken, certainly on the way into court, about how Mr Kelly's relatives were not there. But I also took it that she was upset that Ellie Smith and Jake Clinton weren't there either. Emotions are still running high in Carnarvon about this case, obviously. It rocked and shocked everyone in that town, and it's still quite raw. It was a strange thing to have said, particularly in front of the many media that were there. But again, I think Ms. Mingo was quite emotional going in. Um, she didn't know what was going to happen. But from my observance, after she had talked to Mr. Kelly's lawyer inside court and she had relayed some of the, the legal technicalities and, and basically told him, look, I see Terry in prison every week and he is fine, that seemed to appease her somewhat. And so um, she was a lot more registered on the way out, didn't want to say anything else, which, again, I think is probably wise given that there's a lot of legal proceedings still to play out. And I guess she, like everyone, was probably blindsided by what was about to happen. A little bit. I think she was, yeah. I don't think she had much communication with Mr Kelly in prison. It would be very difficult. He's in a very secure area of Casarina Prison and all his communications and visitors will be monitored very um, strictly. So, no, I don't think she had um, any idea that was coming, but um, she seemed to understand and accept it after it had happened. So, mm. um, again, that was another positive that sort of takes a little bit of the emotion and the uncertainty out of it now. And I think everyone now can see the path that certainly the child snatching charge um, is going to take. It would be so difficult to fathom anyone you know actually doing this, no matter who that was. And I think by all accounts, not just the people who know Kelly, but locals in general are so stunned at his arrest even. I grew up with him. He grew up with me. It's shocking and it's scary, you know. Kristen, following Kelly's arrest, we heard some interesting revelations from neighbours about the 18 days that Cleo was missing. What sort of things were they reporting during that time? Yeah, that's right, Nat. After the police raid, when Cleo was rescued, the reports did emerge of unusual activity at Terence Kelly's house. So neighbours reported that Kelly was doing laps of the property on Tonkin Crescent in his car before pulling into his driveway. He'd also moved his dog from the back of the house to the front and a neighbour mentioned to the media that he had actually seen Kelly in the local supermarket buying nappies during the days that Cleo was missing. Of that claim, Commander Rod Wild has since told the media that police would speak to the neighbours about that information, but none of that information had come to police prior to Cleo's rescue. This is what that neighbour said at the time. Monday we saw him in the Woolworth there buying Kimbys and that, but we didn't click on who it was, but or what he was buying it for, who he was buying it for. Sometimes hindsight later you look back at things and think, yeah, that was something unusual, but at the time it didn't really click. Kristen, let's have a little chat about Kelly's upbringing. We know that he was abandoned as a child. What more has been revealed about his early years? 
Yeah, Nat. So what we know is that he was removed from his mother's care and raised by a respected Aboriginal elder from around the age of two. So he was taken in as a toddler by one of the most respected Aboriginal women in the Gascoigne region. She's since passed, but before she passed, she said that she considered Terence a gift from God when she received him. So in an oral history recorded in 2019, just before her death, in her youth, she had been a heavy drinker and domestic violence victim and her own six children had been removed from her care. She was 44 years old with no children living at home when Terence's mother, another Aboriginal woman who was described as a drug addict, asked her to raise him. And she is quoted as saying, this little boy, God was giving me something back into my life, what the welfare took off me, my children. So I had this little boy, beautiful boy, Terry, two-year-old jet black curly hair. So she certainly considered adopting Terry and taking him into her care as some sort of miracle and blessing. Now, she died in 2020, leaving Mr. Kelly alone in their Carnarvon house. And soon after, he moved to the Tonkin Crescent duplex where he held Cleo captive. We've just dug up that audio from 2019, but a warning to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, before we play it, it does contain the voice of a deceased person. I looked at him and this little boy, um, God was giving me something back into my life. His mum didn't want him and she threw him away. Tim, we just talked about where Kelly lives now, Tonkin Crescent. It's a tough area, a lot of antisocial behaviour. You've been there. Just describe it for us. Yeah, um, look, it is It is a tough area and you only need to drive round it a couple of times to see that it's not by no means the nicest part of Carnarvon. There's a lot of social housing around there and a lot of social dislocation around there. Chris mentioned the laps that Kelly was doing in his car it's an oval sort of shaped present, if you like, with a bear patch in the middle. So everyone can actually see everyone else, which when you actually look at the geography of the house, it becomes even more remarkable that Claire was kept in that house for that long without anyone on that present seeing anything that really raised massive red flags because the duplex Kelly was in itself um, is very tightly spaced with the house next door and then all the other houses are, are really they feel like they're really on top of each other and there's also a lot of physical human movement in that street at all times i mean yesterday we drove past there three or four times just to see what was occurring and if anything was occurring and at all times there was someone on the street so be it a younger person or an adult or a car uh, there's a lot of animals around the place. So it really is a street that is full of movement at all times, day and night, mm. which, as I said, is quite extraordinary that a little girl who had no place being in that house was in that house for so long without anyone noticing. Maybe the fact that it is so busy meant that strange behaviour did get missed a little bit. Yeah, I think that's true now, particularly the car. If you drive into that street, you sort of have to do a lap to come out. And so that wouldn't have been unusual at all. And Kelly coming and going at, at strange times of the day and night and not saying much, that again, not that unusual given the environment. He did keep himself to himself. He was quite close to his immediate neighbour, but I don't think he spent much time or socialised much with anyone else on the street. But everyone was aware that he didn't have his own child. 
Well, certainly those who knew him well and not so well knew that he wasn't a father himself. So that nappy buying occurrence, obviously, with the advantage of hindsight, then became a red flag to those who had seen it and did know him. We heard many residents refer to him as a loner, but it was only after his arrest that we first heard about this unusual obsession that he has. A brat stole is among several items taken from the home of Cleo Smith's alleged abductor during a forensic search which could last weeks. There are reports Terence Kelly claimed the room of dolls was for his daughter, but he had no children. Pencils, markers and crayons have also been taken from the home. Kristen, it was later seen that this obsession with these Bratz dolls was pretty evident on his social media accounts. Yeah, that's right. So his social media profile showed he had this absolute bizarre obsession with the dolls, in particular the Bratz dolls, as you've mentioned, posting photographs of himself posing with the toys on several social media accounts, including one under the nom de plume of Bratz de Luca. So photos that he posted online showed that one of the rooms in his duplex was stacked floor to ceiling with a collection of Bratz dolls. And he also had multiple social media accounts where he claimed to have several children and a wife named Elle. Yeah, despite all reports that he lived alone. He also claimed to be half Italian and from the Sydney suburb of Cronulla in New South Wales on his Instagram accounts. So he'd really created this fantastical online world. And just talking about the strangeness of his behaviour and why alarm bells might not have rung when he purchased the nappies at the local Woolworths, he regularly bought Disney princesses and other girls' toys from Carnarvon's main toy store in the years prior to Cleo's disappearance. So there was nothing unusual to locals about this single childless man purchasing children's toys three or four times a year. He is from a big local family despite seeming to live quite an isolated existence as a loner but he does have many young relatives so you know purchases like that you can sort of see in hindsight why him buying the nappies might not have raised any eyebrows at the time. Yeah that makes sense. Tim do you think we'll hear more about these kinds of things as this case progresses? I think well certainly Kelly's background and his upbringing and his social situation and perhaps his dislocation after Ms. Walker passed away in 2020, that will all be required to put in context why he's done what he's done, Mm. particularly from a defence point of view, I would think. The prosecution will focus mainly on what he did, what he's done, and what led up to it immediately in a criminal sense. But from Kelly's side, they will try and paint the picture of the man and perhaps what led him up to doing that. In terms of A, giving the judge the full context of why, B, perhaps some sort of motive or certainly some sort of lead up to it in terms of a social aspect. And they might well attempt to use it as some sort of mitigation in the fact that, you know, Kelly's upbringing itself was, it would appear quite disjointed and disadvantaged. And courts are allowed and do take those circumstances into account all the time when they are sentencing offenders. In this case, like in any case, the judge will have to weigh up the gravity of the crime with the mitigating factors and then come to a conclusion. But that fantasy world that Kelly was apparently living in a lot more after um, he was left alone in that house, I think certainly will play a part in the sentencing hearing.
We certainly have got the impression that he is someone who is troubled and I always remember the first shot we saw of him and that was a photograph taken inside an ambulance. Her story not yet told but tonight she's wrapped up in her mother's arms. Her alleged kidnapper wrapped up in bandages. Tonight he's locked up, afraid and all alone. What do you know now, Tim, about those injuries when he was transported in the ambulance after he'd been arrested and what happened at the Carnarvon lockup? So the actual arrest itself was on the side of the road in Carnarvon, basically the main road that goes through Carnarvon. And my information was that wasn't an easy arrest. Mr Kelly didn't come quietly in the old TV cop parlance. When he was then held in the lockup in Carnarvon, he was particularly troubled, obviously, but he caused some trouble as well. Over 48 hours that he was basically held in there when police were trying to question him immediately about what had happened, there were at least two self-harming incidents. Our understanding is that he was basically bashing his head up against the south wall. And on the second of those occasions, when multiple police went into the cell to try and appease Mr Kelly, that is when he's allegedly pushed one of the officers that was trying to appease him and which has led to the charge of assaulting a public officer, which we found out had been laid a few weeks ago. There were rumours that went around that it might have been another inmate or prisoner that had caused those injuries to Mr Kelly, but that whole instance and that whole time of him in the cell is on CCTV, so that's been completely disavowed by the police who were involved in his initial holding in custody. In between those two instances of self-harming, he was in court for the first initial appearance, and doing that, he was quite outspoken, he was quite agitated, and made some comments towards the gathered media in there, and made some veiled threats towards some of the journalists in court, which again all points to an individual who had reached a point in his life that he was very agitated, very disturbed, and obviously under some mental duress, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, that first court appearance was back on November 4th last year and a family friend did speak to the media at the time. Let's have a listen to that. And I do feel upset for him. I feel upset. I need something to be done right for him. Tim, obviously, as you've said earlier, tension was very high at the time. Just having spent the last day in Carnarvon, what's the mood like in town now? Well, a lot calmer than when I was uh, up there in November in the immediate aftermath of Cleo's rescue, I have to say. Now, you can't imagine a more emotional time for a town like Carnarvon. Carnarvon is very tight-knit. Everyone knows everyone else. It's a cliche, but it is true. Um, It's quite a spread-out town, but it is all focused around one drag with lots of shops where everyone gathers, everyone knows each other, everyone goes to the same cafe and the same coffee shop. The immediate feeling, obviously, in town was one of shock, Then it was one of disbelief that this could be happening to us. And then that was only exacerbated when they found out it was basically one of their own that had allegedly done this. So those days in November were very fraught. This last weekend, it was still fraught, but mostly because it was 47 degrees on Sunday (laughs) when we arrived and blowing a gale as well. But there were still some tensions in town, so there was an alcohol restriction put on um, over last weekend. Not, as I understand it, because of what was going to happen in court on Monday, but that just goes to show police are always very wary of any sort of social unrest that might be coming in a town like Carnarvon in further north. And then after yesterday's appearance, 
there was a palpable sense of relief. The local MP, Vince Catania, immediately came out with a statement saying this is the best we could have hoped for. It's a vindication of the police. It's a relief for the Smith family and for the wider Carnarvon community. And then even at the airport coming home last night, people were talking about it and had seen the news and were palpably quite relieved that a big part of the case was seemingly going to come to quite a rapid conclusion. Yeah, there was fears at the time, wasn't there, that Kelly's house would be the target of vigilantes. Did it get attacked, the house? I mean, they were very real fears. Now, I mean, there were police. The immediate, obviously, police were there for forensic reasons and they were there for days and days and days, taking out anything that possibly could um, help with the case. After that forensic analysis was done, police stayed there for many, many days because they were very, very fearful. Um, in fact, they were almost expectant that someone would take out a community frustration on that house by basically setting it alight. But it didn't. It was still standing as I looked at it at 4pm yesterday afternoon. But there were also still some lingering fears that one quiet night someone might just you know, put a full stop on what happened in that house and so yeah as my understanding is the police will keep a very close eye on the corner of Tonkin Crescent just in case someone does feel the need to light it up. Yeah and I mean the neighbour even moved out didn't he Tim? Correct so as I mentioned before it's like the duplexes you could not get much closer together they share a very small fence it's a very small backyard the poor chap who lived next door was dealing with a million media on his doorstep and um, at one stage was kind enough to even let some media inside his house because it was the mirror image of Callie's house. And so you could get a very good understanding from being in 18B, what 18A looked like. And then he realised, oh my gosh, I am really in the centre of Mm. possible and potential firestorm here. So he packed up his belongings and actually moved out and for fear that if one side goes up, then my side might go up as well, which was just another reason why there was that fractious feeling in the air, certainly back in November. Yeah, Tim, seeing those photos from inside the mirror image adjoining duplex, it's quite amazing that he did let the media in to take those images. I mean, all of his possessions and everything were still there and furniture and whatnot before he moved out. So that was quite incredible. But he was also quite forthcoming with the media. He did... Mm say that he maintains he did not hear or see Cleo in the 18 days that she was missing, which is just incredible given how in such close proximity he was to Terence and Cleo. He did say he noticed some unusual behaviour from Kelly, but he described him as a good neighbour. He said the dogs were barking all night long, every night that week, but again, it hadn't roused any suspicions that there might be a child inside the adjoining duplex. He did also say, though, interestingly, he did see Mr. Kelly outside the duplex in the early hours of one morning before dawn when he went to say hello to Mr. Kelly and put his bins out. Mr. Kelly avoided him. So that was, yeah, interesting. Has he moved back in? The house was occupied on Sunday when we drove past. There was obviously someone there, but I don't think it's the neighbour that had become quite close to Mr. Kelly. No, I think he was given, well, we shan't say special dispensation, but um, there was certainly an understanding of the possible risk. And so my understanding is he was given a different address in town. And just a sidebar on what Kristen was saying then about Kelly's dogs, when he used to take them to the vet in Carnarvon, we found out in the last few days that um, he used to, ask for the bill to be made out to Mr. DeLuca, which allies to the online persona that he had and that was mentioned earlier. So that was another indication of the sort of 
strange little bubble that Kelly was living in around about this time that his online persona was apparently just starting to bleed out into real life. Sort of seems like everyone just indulged him, doesn't it? Mm. Because no one yeah. sort of really raised an eyebrow about this strange behaviour or him using uh, alias or anything like that. Everyone just kind of went along with it. No one really made a fuss of it. Do we yeah, know what absolutely. else may have been seen in the house apart from the Bratz dolls? Yeah, we do, Nat. So there were a number of items which were observed by the media as being collected by forensic officers and examined by police and removed, taken to a laboratory for further forensic testing. So among them were, as you mentioned, the Bratz dolls, but there were trailers packed to the brim with evidence bags being driven away from the duplex to be taken for proper examination in a lab. So forensics were seen holding a box full of pens, markers and crayons, as well as biohazard bags likely holding samples. Police were seen examining a bed frame in the backyard of the home. Carpet was removed. Forensic officers were also scouring Kelly's Mazda SUV, which was parked in his driveway. A white mobile phone was among the items seized. There was a clear plastic tub in the backyard of the property being tested for fingerprints and whatnot, and multiple other items, many of which we may never learn what they were, but I'm sure some of it may come to light throughout the court proceedings. Tim, what now for Kelly? So there are three separate court dates that have been set, but the main one is in March. So that is what they call a sentence mention list which is basically an administrative list that's held weekly in the Perth District Court that works out when and how long a sentencing will take. So when Mr Kelly goes before that District Court judge for the first time, there will be discussion as to how long the sentencing might take, what reports might be needed, and then, all being well, a date for that sentencing will be set in several months hence. Um, the assault public officer charge, which is the lower end of the charge, that's going to be heard again in the end of February, and that will just follow on behind the kidnapping charge. And in the meantime, Mr Kelly will just stay where he's been in the special handling unit of Casarina Prison. Listeners to another podcast that I was involved in last year might remember that the special handling unit of Casarina holds the highest profile prisoners in Western Australia, of which Kelly is now quite firmly one. And so he will stay there and he's allowed visitors, obviously, and one of those regular visitors will be his lawyer, who said in court that she's basically going to see him today, as we speak today, to go and talk through what the process will be from now on. And she will then continue to go and visit him until the time comes when he is taken out of that cell, put in a prison bus and brought to court. I wonder if we will see the family when that happens, if we will see Ellie and Jake during that period. Yeah, an interesting question that and there might be some media commitments around that as well so we learned last week that the smith family have signed a very large agreement with the media organization to tell their story through that in various outlets and well as you well know that your huge experience in tv production content and vision <laughs> is everything you'd never want to tell a family what to do but i'm pretty certain there would be some gentle leaning on ellie and jake to be at court for that day, um, just merely for the fact of getting them on camera, arriving at court. They might well want to be at court. They might want to see and hear the hearing for themselves. There will certainly be some victim impact statements that they will have compiled, I'm pretty sure. In certain circumstances, victims of crime actually request to read those out in court personally. So, look, I'm sure the main thinking will be what's best for us, what's best for Cleo, and what's best 
to let the process happen as smoothly as possible. And I'm sure they will be advised by the detectives as well as what their rights are, what their options are and how the police can help them get through it as best they can. Yeah, Kristen, do you think police, particularly Rod Wilde and his team, it's something that they might like to see given just how incredible this policing operation has been? Now, I definitely can't speak on their behalf. I'm not sure what their views on this would be, but I think just for personal reasons, the family would probably like to be there to see justice achieved for their daughter. But at the same time, like what Tim said, I was actually wondering myself if if there had been some stipulations around that put in place in relation to the media deal that they've struck with Nine. So, look, I think just speaking personally, I certainly would want to be there. I would want to see justice done for my child and I'm sure they feel the same way. But yeah, it will be interesting to see how that plays out depending on what obligations they now have to Channel 9 with that exclusive interview. Having never walked in these shoes, nobody knows how people will respond or react. Well, that's it from us today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tim and Kristen. And we'll bring you more information as this case continues. For more on Clio, head to the west.com.au forward slash Clio and if anything we've spoken about in the course of this podcast has brought up issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 My name is Clio is recorded in the studios of the West Australian newspaper. This podcast is produced and edited by Kate Ryan and hosted by executive producer Natalie Bongiolo Audio clippings provided by Channel 7 and WA Police